Hello, and welcome to the reading of The Courier for Tuesday, January 24th. And I am your narrator, Peter Welch, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. All right, let's take a look at uh, the front page here of The Courier. Bill adds school bond hurdle. Districts would have to put 10% down before seeking bond vote. In Cedar Rapids, Iowa school districts would be required to post a 10% down payment on general obligation bond referendums under a proposal from Republican leaders in the Iowa House. Under House File 1, any school district in Iowa would be required to deposit at least 10% of the total cost of the project for which the bonds are to be issued. If the referendum is approved by voters, those funds would have to be used for the project. In Iowa, school bond issues, basically loans that schools take out typically for 10, 15, or 20 years, require a supermajority of 60% of the voters in the district to pass. In passing them, voters agree to repay the loan with interest through their property taxes, reducing those taxes. Representative Bobby Kaufman, a Republican from Wilton who leads the Iowa House Committee on Tax Policy, said that the goal of the legislation is to start a conversation on ways to reduce property taxes. The proposal is co-sponsored by Iowa Speaker of the House, Pat Grassley. Kaufman said that the proposals are not set in stone but that any school or local government leaders who have concerns should come to him with alternative proposals. That includes the 10% payment requirement for bonding, Kaufman goes on to say. When it comes to some bonding referendums, there have been some bad actors, certainly not all by any stretch, but there's certainly have been some bad actors in terms of not necessarily financing within their means, Kaufman says. However, establishing a baseline for how everybody should operate on financing is important. The goal is certainly not to eliminate bonding. The goal is to make sure that it's practical and fiscally responsible, which a lot of schools and cities are already there, Kaufman added. But this is the conversation started to say, hey, we're going to have all the rules for everybody laid out so that there can't be any bad actors. And the overall goal is to reduce property tax burdens. Senator Dan Dawson, a Republican from Council Bluffs, who leads the Senate's Tax Policy Committee, said that he's happy that the House Republicans have proposed something that creates a debate around property tax laws, but he fell short of endorsing the plan. Dawson said that Senate Republicans will be proposing their own property tax legislation and that it will take a different approach than House Republicans' proposal. Motive sought in California massacre. Police probe shooter who killed 11 at Dance Hall, then took his own life. In Monterey Park, California, investigators searching for a motive Monday in the worst mass shooting in Los Angeles Los Angeles County history, said that the gunman was previously arrested for illegally owning a firearm, had a rifle, and hundreds of rounds of ammunition at home, and appeared to be manufacturing gun silencers. In Los Angeles, 
or I should say Los Angeles Sheriff Robert Luna, said that investigators had not yet established why Hu Khan Tron, age 72, gunned down revelers during a Lunar New Year celebration at a Monterey Park dance hall he, he was said to frequent. What drove a madman to do this? We don't know, but we intend to find out, Luna said. Tran fired 42 rounds at the Star Ballroom Dance Studio on Saturday night, killing 11 people and wounding nine. He then drove to another nearby dance hall where Brandon say, who works at the establishment, started by his grandparents, wrestled a modified 9mm submachine gun style semi-automatic weapon away from him and saved countless lives, Luna said. He's the hero that disarmed the suspect, Luna said. Officers who surrounded a van matching descriptions of the getaway vehicle said that they found Tran dead inside Sunday from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. A handgun was recovered from the van. Sheriff's deputies from L.A. County search Tran's home in a gated senior community in the town of Hemet, a little over an hour's drive from the site of the massacre. Hemet police spokesperson Alan Royce goes on to say, Luna said that his officers found a three, a .308 caliber rifle, an unknown amount of bullets, and evidence he was making homemade firearm suppressors that muffled the sound of the weapons. Tran then visited Hemet police twice this month to report he was the victim of fraud, theft, and poisoning by family members a decade or two ago in the L.A. area, Ryers says. Tron said that he would return to the station with documentation, but never did so. The mayor of Monterey Park said that Tran may have frequented the first dance hall that he targeted. And his ex-wife told CNN the two met there and he offered her free lessons. The death toll rose to 11 Monday after health officials announced that one of the 10 people wounded died. The L.A. County Department of Health Services said... L.A. County Supervisor Janice Hahn said it was the worst mass shooting in the county's history. All except one of the dead were 60 years or older, according to the information released Monday by the L.A. coroner's office providing the first identification. Authorities have shared little about Tran, who once owned a trucking company, according to California business records. He had a previous arrest for unlawful possession of a firearm in 1990 and otherwise had a limited criminal history, Luna says. The sheriff could not immediately say if gun arrest at a time when firearm laws were different would have barred him from owning weapons. L.A. Superior Court records show that Tran was married in 2001 and divorced five years later, citing irreconcilable differences. The couple did not have children said they had no community property and neither side had to pay alimony. The shootings during Lunar New Year's celebrations sent a wave of fear through Asian American communities and cast a shadow over festivities nationwide. The massacre struck one of California's largest celebrations of a holiday observed in many Asian cultures, dealing another blow to a community that has been the target of high-profile violence in recent years. It was also the deadliest attack since May 24th, when 21 people were killed in an elementary school 
in Uvalde, Texas. Tran is the second oldest mass killer in the U.S. over the last 20 years, according to a database compiled by the Associated Press, USA Today, and Northeastern University. The only older mass killer was a 73-year-old who murdered five people in Yuma County, Arizona in 2011 before killing himself. The database tracks every mass killing defined as four dead, not including the offender, committed in the U.S. since 2006. And there is yet another shooting story here happening right here in our own state in Des Moines that you might have heard about. The shooting at the school on the edge of downtown was targeted, the police say. Two kids were, uh, two kids were killed in that uh, fire exchange. Two students were killed Monday and a, a teacher was injured in what police say that was a targeted shooting at Des Moines School that is dedicated to helping at-risk youths. And three suspects were arrested afterward. The shooting was at an educational program called Starts Right Here that is affiliated with the Des Moines School District. Police said that emergency crews were called to the school, which is in a business park, just before 1 p.m. Officers arrived to find two students critically injured, and they started CPR immediately. The two students died at a hospital. The teacher who was injured is in serious condition and headed into surgery Monday afternoon. About 20 minutes after the shooting, police said that the officers stopped a car that matched witnesses' descriptions about two miles away and took three suspects into custody. Police said that one of the suspects ran from the car, but officers using a canine were able to track the person down. The incident was definitely targeted. It was not random. There was nothing random about this, Sergeant Paul Perzarek said. The Start Right Here program, which helps at-risk youths in grades 9 to 12, was founded by William, or I should say by Will Holmes, excuse me, a rapper whose stage name is Will Keeps. He didn't immediately respond to a message seeking comment on Monday. The school is designed to pick up the slack and help the kids who need help the most, as Eric said. The Greater Des Moines Partnership, the Economic, Economic and Community Development Organizations for the region, says on its website that Keeps came to Des Moines about 20 years ago from Chicago, where he lived in a world of gangs and violence before finding healing through music. The partnership said that the Starts Right Here movement seeks to encourage and educate young people living in disadvantaged and oppressive circumstances using the arts, entertainment, music, hip-hop, and other programs. It also teaches financial literacy and helps students prepare for job interviews and improve their com communication skills. The ultimate goal is to break down barriers of fear, intimidation, and other damaging factors, leading to a sense of being disenfranchised, forgotten, and rejected. The school's website says 70% of the students it serves are minorities. Governor Kim Reynolds, who serves on an advisory board of Starts Right Here, said that she was shocked and saddened to hear about the shooting. Des Moines Police Chief Dana Wingert is on the Starts Right Here board. I've seen firsthand how hard Will Keeps and his staff works to help to help at-risk kids through this alternative education program, Reynolds said in a statement. My heart breaks for them. These kids and their families, Kevin and I, are praying for their safe recovery. 
Nicole Krantz said that her office near the school was put on lockdown immediately after the shooting, and she saw someone running from the building with police in pursuit on foot and in patrol cars. We just saw a lot of cop cars pouring in from everywhere, Krantz said to the Des Moines Register. It's terrifying. We're all worried. We went on lockdown, obviously. We were all told to stay away from the windows because we weren't sure if they even caught the guy. Okay, what else is going on here in the paper? Waverly. County proposes pipeline restrictions. Hearings on changes in land use zoning February 13th. In Waverly, the Bremer County Board of Supervisors has a date for the final step involved in getting a local land use and zoning ordinance regulating carbon pipeline projects to the uh, to the finish line. Supervisors on Monday set February 13th at 11 a.m. for the first of three readings on the 18-page measure essentially establishing setbacks for the proposed project that's poised to pass across its borders as well as through other Northeast County, Iowa counties, which would be Butler and Floyd, Buchanan, Hard. Harden, uh, Franklin, Fayette, and Delaware. This is aggressive. I don't know if we're fixing anything, but we can't be accused of not trying, said Supervisor Dewey Hillebrand. The minimum separation distances proposed are city limits of an incorporated city, two miles, church, school, nursing home, long-term facility, or 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 hospital, half a mile, public park conservation area, sensitive area, or public recreation area, half a mile, occupied structure, half a mile, animal feeding operation or facility, 1,000 feet, electric power generating facility with a nameplate capacity of 5 megawatts megawatts or more, an electric transmission line operating at 69 kilowatts or more, an electric transmission substation, a public drinking water treatment plant, or a public wastewater treatment plant, 1,000 feet, private water supply wells, 200 feet. Navigator has applied for a hazardous liquid pipeline permit from the Iowa Utilities Board, but has not yet received one. In the Iowa Senate, five bills were introduced last week that could severely restrict the ongoing plans of Navigator and two other companies planning to build pipelines in the state. Hillebrandt noted before the vote setting the date that his only contention with the proposed ordinance was the hardship he felt they might be creating for residents with any unintended consequences impacting growth and development. Lindsay Lambert, County Building and Zoning Administrator, replied by saying that that's why applicants can request variances and noted the supervisors could make revisions to the ordinance down the road. The possibility previously acknowledged by the officials has been that the county will be putting itself at risk of being sued, as has been the case for Story and Shelby counties, when they passed similar ordinances and were taken to court by Summit Carbon Solutions, one of the other pipeline companies. Supervisor Kim Kammeyer noted after the meeting, that the voting reached out to a few weeks ago with concerns suggesting the setbacks are not workable. But our job is to protect people's safety, he says. Kammermeyer also con- contended that the proposal well setbacks were not far enough. Protecting citizens was one reason Supervisor County Sir- Sirwinski pointed out 
the proposed ordinances was on the table, as well as how it reinforces local control. It clarifies our authority to dictate land use, he said afterwards. To get a copy of the measure, contact the Bremer County Building and Zoning Office. And that number is 319-352-0332. The Planting and Zoning Commission recommended its adoption after the county mirrored the one pass in Shelby County with specialized counselors, counselors uh, Timothy Whipple of Ehlers and Cooney. Okay, let's turn the page. Let's go to the news from the front page. Trump's MAGA, which is Make America Great Again, forces threaten to upend a vote for Republican chair. In New York, by week's end, the Republican National Committee is set to resolve a bitter leadership feud that has exposed perilous divisions within a party that has struggled to move past a disappointing midterm ahead of a critical race for the White House. Those inside the fight believe that the days ahead of Friday's secret ballot at a luxury seaside resort could get even uglier as rebels force within former President Donald Trump's Make America Great Again movement threatened to upend RNC Chair Rona McDaniel's re-election bid. The attacks have been led by McDaniel's chief rival, Hermit Dillian, a Trump attorney, who has accused the incumbent of religious bigotry, chronic misspending, and privately claiming that she can control the former president. Allegations McDaniel denies. Also in the race is My Pillow CEO Mike Lindell, a pro-Trump conspiracy theorist who secured enough support to qualify for the ballot. Trump hasn't made a public endorsement, but he and his team are privately advocating for McDaniel, whom he tapped for the position shortly after his 2016 victory. Still, many Trump loyalists blame McDaniel, the niece of Utah Senator Mitt Romney, for some of the party's recent struggles. In an interview, Dillian insisted that the overwhelming majority of Republican voters want a leadership change at the RNC. She warned of serious political political consequences for any of the committee's 168 elected members who support McDaniel's re-election. For those members of the party who vote not with what the people in their state want, but with what their own self-interest is, the next time they're up for election, it's going to be an issue, Dillian goes on to, uh, to tell the Associated Press. Apprised of Dillian's uh, statement, McDaniel said, it sounds like a threat. She condemned the increasing ugly attacks against her and the divisions plaguing the committee. There's nobody who's enjoyed this more than Democrats. I know because I love it when they're fighting each other, McDaniel said. Friday's vote for RNC chair serves as the latest high-profile leadership test for a deeply divided Republican Party, grappling with questions about its future and Trump's influence ahead of the 2024 presidential election. The infighting was on public display earlier this month as House Republicans almost came to blows before uniting behind House Speaker Kevin McCarthy undermined by the same mega, which is America, make America great again, forces threatening McDaniel this week. In both cases, Trump has struggled to control his own loyalists who seem intent on fighting the status quo, whether McCarthy 
or McDaniel, no matter the cost. Seeking to influence the vote, a group of Florida Republicans from the party's mega wing moved last Friday to hold a vote of no confidence in McDaniel, which Republican groups in a handful of other states have done in recent weeks as well. But the Florida's gathering, which drew leading McCarthy, uh, detractor Representative Matt Gates, Republican of Florida, fell far short of reaching the, uh, the quorum needed to hold an official vote. Still, dozens of anti-McDaniel protest protesters waved signs outside the event. One read, Rona is the enemy within. Okay, let's turn the page again. Now we're going to go to the Cedar Valley section. And these first, this first article is about local food producers, focus of events. Farm-to-fork dinner networking marketing opportunities are planned. Work is never done when it comes to farming and producing local food, but winter's slower pace is the perfect time for several special events hosted by Cedar Valley Regional Food and Farm Network. After a two-year absence, the organization's farm-to-fork dinner, previously local food diner, is returning. I should say dinner, excuse me, food dinner, is returning on the 8th of February. In addition, the local food producer buyer networking event is planned for February 1st, and on February 25th, the Farmer's Market Workshop and a marketing workshop will take place. Local producers and food buyers can participate in the networking events from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. on February the 1st at the Diamond Event Center at 5307 Caraway Lane in Cedar Falls. This is an important opportunity to connect our local food producers and buyers so that they can meet in person, said UNI Local Food Program Manager Jody Hugerich. The event is open to individuals interested in selling their food to wholesale markets and businesses, interested in purchasing local food for their businesses, or businesses who need more local suppliers. A speed dating format means each buyer talks with each producer rather than leaving meetings to chance. Those connections lead to initial conversations. Hugerich goes on to say, it's perfect timing too, she explains, because producers are in earlier stages of planning and preparing for the growing season or food production and have time to make changes and grow something unique that a buyer requests. Anyone interested may attend. There is no cost. Pre-registration required no later than Wednesday at www.cvfoodfarmersnetwork.org. The Farm to Fork Dinner on February 8th will take place at the Diamond Events Center, bringing together community members to break bread with local food producers and show support for the local food system. Teen gets prison in 2021 home robbery in Waterloo. One of two teens convicted in a home robbery in 2021 has been sentenced to prison. The attorney for Wilmaris Calrone Burt, age 19, had requested probation, noting that Burt had acquaintances who died from violence in Waterloo and Des Moines in the year leading up to the robbery. He's getting a sense of doom of hopelessness, defense attorney Catherine Mahoney told the court during a Monday hearing. But Judge Andrea Dreyer questioned how experiencing such pain and loss 
would translate into breaking into a home and terrorizing others. Instead, she handed down a 25-year prison sentence for the charges of first-degree robbery, first-degree burglary, and going armed. It's difficult to imagine a more frightening circumstance, Dreyer said. Thankfully, it stopped. Thankfully, no one was shot. Authorities said that Bert and Patrick Roosevelt, Hickman, Isabel, broke open a bedroom window to a Newell Street home on the 14th of July in 2021. They crawled inside and demanded cash and jewelry from a 19-year-old at the house. A relative sleeping in a basement bedroom heard the commotion and called 911. Bert and Isabel were arrested following a brief standoff, and officers found a 9mm Taurus pistol after searching the home. Dreyer did note that Bert was less culpable than his co-defendant. Isabel had allegedly pointed the gun at the resident and had taken responsibility, pleading guilty, where Isabel went to trial. She opted to run the sentences concurrent instead of adding them together. Because Bert was a juvenile at the time of the crime, mandatory minimums before parole don't apply. Isabel, age 20, was convicted of the same charges during a December 2022 trial, and he is awaiting sentencing. Okay, what else is going on here? Monthly CPR AED training to be offered. uh, CF Public Safety Plans to hold on the first Sundays in Cedar Falls, beginning next month, a brand new CPR AED training and curriculum class will be taught the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. at the Public School Safety Building at 4600 South Main Street. Participants will learn during these four-hour sessions how to perform proper compressions and use the automated external defibrillator in the precious moments before first responders arrive to treat someone suffering from cardiac arrest. It's been offered previously by the department on an on, on an on-call basis, but Captain John Zolendek told the city council last week that he received a lot of calls recently from churches and schools or other organizations after first responders resuscitated professional football player Damar Hamlin during a game uh, earlier this month. They would call in and we'd try to make it fit in. So now we'll just have one that's set up and formalized, he goes on to say. These are official trainings of the American Heart Association. It costs $40 per person to help pay for mannequins and staffing. Each person will walk away with an official certification that's good for two years. Early CPR can double or triple the chances of someone surviving, Zolendek says. To enroll in a class, just go online to bit, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash C-F-P-S capitalize C, capitalize P, capitalize R. Or visit the city website at www.cedarfalls.com and find the training underneath the services tab. And for more information on the program, you can email Zolendek at john.zolondek at cedarfalls.com. Or you can also call 319-273-8616. Oh, let's see. What else is in Cedar Falls? UNI Black History Month kickoff plan. Celebration starts with Ayanna Gregory show. 
In Cedar Falls, Ayanna Gregory is helping the University of Northern Iowa kick off its celebration of Black History and Culture on the 3rd of February. She will perform her one-woman show, Daughter of the Struggle, which takes the audience on an unforgettable journey into the life of the legendary Dick Gregory and the family that loves him. Sponsored by UNI's Diversity, Inclusion, and Social Justice Department, the dinner and show starts at 5.30 p.m. in the Mocker Union Ballrooms. The event is free, but individuals interested in attending should secure their spot by registering in advance. Ayanna Gregory, One Woman's Show, is a tribute to her father's life and memoir of her upbringing as the daughter of civil rights activists portraying the sacrifices of her family and those of other freedom fighters. Born in 1932 in St. Louis, Dick Gregory was an accomplished comedian and author and fervent uh, civil rights leader. He was the father of 10 children, including Ayanna, and was known for his direct language when discussing racial and racial inequality. He died in 2017 at the age of 84. Ayanna describes the show as a gift that just keeps on giving. It continues to change form and is transforming me in the process, she said in a news release. It's such an honor to stand as the continuum of such a powerful legacy. It's so important to me that my father knows who he is to me. Martin and Malcolm never got the chance to hear their children talk about them. You and I also will host several events to celebrate Black History Month throughout February, including the uh, African American Reading on the 16th of February and African American Children and Families Conference on the 17th of February. Both will be held virtually. First grade classrooms from schools across Iowa were invited to participate in the Reading, which is being held for this, uh, the 17th year and will feature nationally known authors, Diana Johnson and Angela Johnson. You are listening to the reading of The Courier for the 24th of January on a Tuesday. My name is Peter Welch. I am your narrator, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. And yes, we do have some obituary uh News here. Let's take a look here. Uh, the first one is Lavon Youngtum, age 96, of Sumner, passed away on the 22nd of January. Funeral services will be held at 11 a.m. on Friday, on uh, January 27th, at St. John Lutheran Church in Sumner, in Sumner, with Reverend Tracy Hinkle officiating. The burial will follow at St. John's Lutheran School Cemetery, rural Sumner. Visitation will be held from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Thursday, the 26th of January at Becker and Son Funeral Home in Sumner. And Patricia Drilling, age 65, of Allen, Texas, passed away on Sunday on the 15th of January. Condolence cards can be mailed to Rhonda Watson at 5816 Stone Drive, North Richland Hills in Texas, and the zip code is 76180. Bruce Bokenstead, age 50, of Manchester, has passed away on the 19th of January. Visitation will be held from 4 to 7 p.m. on Thursday uh, of January 26th at Kramer Funeral Home in Dyersville. Funeral Mass will be held at 11 a.m. on Friday on the 27th 
of January at St. Francis Xavier Basilica in Dyersville, Iowa. Uh, internment will be held at a later date. The Reverend Noah Diem will officiate. William Warren, age 92, of Washington, has passed at his home on Sunday the 22nd of January. And funeral services will be held at 10.30 a.m. on Friday, 27th of January, at the Calvary Bible Baptist Church with burial in the Washburn Cemetery, both in Washburn. Visitation will be from 5 to 7 p.m. Thursday, January 26th, at the Lock on 4th Street, and memorials may be directed to the family. You can also visit www.lockfuneralservices.com to leave your condolences, or you can also uh, call Lock at 319-233-6138, who are assisting in all funeral arrangements. Lawrence Neef has passed at the age of 86 of University of Iowa Hospitals in in Iowa City, and funeral services will be held on the 27th of January at 11 a.m. at St. Paul Lutheran Church, Artesian. There will be one one-hour visitation prior to the service. For more information, you can contact Kaiser Corson Funeral Home uh, at uh, Denver at 319-985-5379. John L. Gross has passed. Visitation will be on Tuesday the 24th of January between 5 and 8 p.m. at White Funeral Home at 20134 Kenwood Trail in Lakeville, Minnesota. And the telephone number there, if you need to call the funeral home, is 952-469-2723. The funeral service will be Wednesday, the 25th of January at 11 a.m. at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at 18460. And I will spell this K A. C-H-I-N-A Court, Canachia Court in Lakesville, Minnesota. All right, what else is going on? Let's go back to some more news in Waterloo. Waterloo, uh, Waterlooan, rather, arrested for throwing bike at a woman. In Waterloo, a Waterloo man has been arrested for allegedly hurling a bike at a woman and punching her in July. Bond for Shakem Bolden, age 28, of 612 Ray, Ray Street, was set at $20,000 when he was arrested Saturday on a warrant for willful injury causing serious injury. Authorities allege Bold, Bolden threw a children's bicycle at Heaven Sleekers and then punched her in the face and knocked her to the ground on Camelot Drive on the 29th of July. Sleekers was taken to Mercy One Waterloo Medical Center and was treated for a facial fracture and a broken jaw, according to court records. And also, let's take a look at the um, Metro briefs. In Cedar Fall, local agencies need your help. The Volunteer Center of the Cedar Valley has announced the following needs of local organizations. First, you have the American Red Cross is looking for help with its social media. Volunteers will do anything from making posts to interacting with other accounts. Love Incorporated is looking for volunteers to provide child care during the 10-week program it offers for individuals. The Job Foundation is looking for role models for students to help guide them to financial success. Volunteers would meet with a student for two or four hours a month. 
in cores is recruiting those who would be able to help out as virtual math tutors. Volunteers would work with the students online. And for more information about that, you can contact the uh, Volunteer Center of Cedar Valley at 319-883-3015 or information at vcc.vorg or go online to vccv.org for a complete listing of volunteer opportunities in the Cedar Valley. And more news in Waterloo. Sex offender arrested for fleeing residential facility. A sex offender who led, or I should say who fled, excuse me, from a work release program and remained at large for several months has been arrested. Waterloo police arrested Zachary Joe Davis, age 35, on Saturday on Camelot Drive on charges of escape in violation of the sex offender registry. Davis is required to register as a sex offender because of a 2007 conviction for lascivious acts on a child, and he has prior convictions for failing to register according to court records. On the 2nd of April in 2022, Davis was serving time at the Waterloo Residential Corrections Facility on East 6th Street when he allegedly removed his GPS tracking device and ran from the building at about 9.35 p.m., court records state. Staff was alerted by an alarm, and the headcount determined he was missing, record state. The GPS device was found on the floor next to his bed. Workers at Ingredient OK Contract end strike. Cedar Rapids. A nearly six-month long strike will end after more than 120 workers at Ingredient Maker Ingredient voter Sunday, or voted Sunday, rather, to accept a new contract. The head of the Bakery Confectionery Tobacco Workers and Grain Millers International Union praised workers in Cedar Rapids for remaining steadfast throughout the prolonged contract fight. The union didn't release details about what it included in the new four-year contract. This has been a long and difficult fight for our striking members and their families with each new day on that picket line fighting for what they deserve. Our members grew in strength courage and determination, Union President Anthony Shelton says, I could not be more proud of these hard-working members who put it all out on the line to fight for a fair contract. Officials at the Chicago-based company didn't immediately respond to the questions on Sunday. Ingridian has more than 11,000 employees worldwide and reports annual sales of nearly $6 billion. It reported a third quarter profit of $106 million. This strike began August 1st as ingredient workers fought for improved benefits and wages along with stronger uh, seniority and work rules. There have been a number of high-profile strikes in recent years since the pandemic as workers press for more amid the ongoing worker shortages. Elaine Swiger age 57, who has worked in Ingredients Starch Department for 27 years, said that she hopes that the prolonged strike paid off. It was something that needed to be done. But I'm also glad it's over, Swigger goes on to say. We're all ready to get back to work. I'm glad we stayed strong because we ended up with a lot better contract than the original. And since it is Tuesday, the 24th of January, it's time to look at uh, some of the uh, television programming that will be on tonight. 
Let's take a look here. First, we've got How I Met Your Father. This is a season premiere, and this is on Hulu, the sitcom spinoff of How I Met Your Mother Returns for season two. Hilary Duff, Christopher Lowell, and Francia Rezia lead the cast. New episodes drop Tuesdays starting today. Physical 100, Netflix, a new series, 100 contestants in top physical shape compete to claim the honor of having the ultimate physique in this intense survival reality series from Korea. The Rookie on ABC at 7 a 7 p.m. rather, excuse me, in Daddy Cop amid a heat wave and citywide blackout, Officer Nolan and Aaron follow some leads after they discover criminals hiding at the station and Officer Chen makes an alarming discovery. FBI, CBS at 7 p.m. After a mysterious bioweapon leaves two transit workers dead and one injured, the team rushes to determine who is behind the attack and the location of their next target in the new episode, Breakdown. Fox, 7 p.m., 911, Lone Star, season premiere. The drama surrounds a team of first responders in Austin, Texas, is back for season four tonight. Rob Lowe, Gina Torres, Ron Rubenstein, and Sierra McLean are starring. Night Court, NBC at 7 p.m. In just Tuesday, after Abby makes a mistake in the courtroom, she decides to adopt an all-business approach to getting things back on track, but her new style catches everyone off guard. Finding Your Roots with Henry Louis Gates, Jr., in Far From Home, Henry Louis Gates Jr. maps the family tree of, pipe I- of pop icon Cindy Lauper and actors Jamie Chung and Danny Trejo, exploring the records in Italy, Korea, and Mexico to uncover the ancestors whose stories were lost when their families immigrated to America. NBC, 7.30 p.m., American Auto. The workplace comedy from superstore creator Justin Spitzer returns for season two. Set at an auto company in Detroit, the series is led by Aina Gastiar, Harriet Dyer, and John Bertenholtz. Accused on Fox, 8 p.m. Marley Matlin makes her uh, directorial debut in the new episode, Ava's Story, involving a deaf surrogate who is forced to take protective action. Megan Boone and Aaron Ashmore star. American Masters, Roberta Flack, PBS at 8 p.m. This film traces music icon Robert Flack's journey from her start in Piano Lounge to her rise to stardom. Thanks to iconic performances of classics like The First Time I Ever Saw Your Face, Killing Me Softly, Flack's virtuosity was inseparable from her commitment to civil rights, and her story is detailed here in her own words, enhanced by access to her archives, as well as interviews with the Reverend Jesse Jackson, Peebo Bryson, and more. Will Trent, ABC, 9 p.m., in My Stupid Detective Brain, with two dead victims and very few answers, and the GBI investigate a call from the State Park Police alongside the APD. Will 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 also make some strides in his partnership with Faith. The Dirty Black Bag, AMC, 10 p.m. This is a new series. Remember, a head weighs less than a body. When it comes to hauling around that dirty black bag, 
AMC's gritty Spaghetti Western tells a story over eight long days following the encounter and clash between two men and an apparently incorruptible sheriff with a dark past and Red Bill, a dirty, tacturn bounty killer, trapped in a desire for vengeance that cannot be fulfilled. And before we leave this page, there certainly is lots to watch here tonight. Uh, don't forget to catch a classic. And the star of the month is Marion Davies. And the films will start at 7 p.m. And Marion's movies are Peg, Oh My Heart, Paige, Miss Glory, Kane and Mabel, Hearts Divided, and Ever Since Eve. And that's all tonight on the Catch a Classic on Turner Classic Movies. Okay, let's go back now to news. And uh, this article is about the Oath Keepers. Four Oath Keepers found guilty. Convictions on sedition and seditious acts, conspiracy charges, another win for the feds. Four members of the Oath Keepers were convicted on Monday of seditious conspiracy in the January 6, 2021 Capitol attack. In the second major trial of far-right extremists accused of plotting to forcibly keep President Donald Trump in power. The verdict against Joseph Hackett of Sarasota, Florida, Roberto Minita of Prosper, Texas, David Marshall of Punta Gorda, Florida, Edward Vallejo of Phoenix, comes weeks after a different jury convicted the group's leader, Stuart Rhodes, in the mob's attack that halted the certification of President Joe Biden's electoral victory. It's another major victory for the Justice Department, which is also trying to secure sedition convictions against the former leaders of the Proud Boys and four associates. The trial against Enrique Terrio and his lieutenants opened earlier this month in Washington. The Washington jury deliberated for about 12 hours over three days before delivering their guilty verdict on the rarely used charge, which carries up to 20 years in prison. The four were also convicted of two other conspiracy charges, as well as obstructing an official proceeding. Congress certification of the 2020 election, uh, Manuta, Hackett, and Marshall were acquitted of lesser charges. The judge didn't immediately set a date for sentencing. The judge denied prosecutors' bid to lock up the men while they await sentencing, finding them not to be a risk of flight. They were ordered to remain in home detention. Attorney, Attorney General Merrick Garland told reporters after the verdict that he's grateful to the prosecutors and the agents and staff for their outstanding work. Also on Monday, an Arkansas man who propped his feet up on a desk in the then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office during the U.S. Capitol riot, was convicted of joining a mob's attack on the building two years ago. The jury deliberated for about two hours before unanimously convicting Richard Barnett on all eight counts in his indictment, including felony charges of civil disorder and obstruction of an official Proceeding. Okay, let's look now at some uh, news digest. Poland pushes for more tanks for Kyiv. In Warsaw, Poland, Poland said Monday it would ask Berlin for permission to send German built Leopard tanks to Ukraine as its Western allies move to supply Kyiv with more powerful military hardware to thwart Russia's invasion. Germany has hesitated to approve sending of tanks to Ukraine, but Polish officials took heart 
from remarks on Sunday by German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbach that Berlin wouldn't seek to stop Poland from providing Leopard 2 battle tanks. Polish Prime Minister uh, didn't specify when the request to Germany will be made. He did say that Poland is building a coalition of nations ready to send Leopard 2 battle tanks to the Ukraine. Poland needs the consent of Germany, which builds the tanks to send them to a non-NATO country. Lawyer likens video to King beating in Memphis, Tennessee. In Memphis, police officers beat motorist Tyre Nichols for three minutes, treating him like a human panita in a savage encounter reminiscent of the infamous 1991 police beatings of Los Angeles motorist Rodney King Attorneys for the family said on Monday, attorney Ben Crump said that the police video viewed by the family on Monday showed that Nichols was shocked, pepper sprayed, and restrained from after the 29-year-old FedEx worker and father was pulled over on the 7th of January, minutes from his home, while returning from a suburban park where he had taken photos of the sunset. Another attorney, Antonio Ramonici, said that the uh, said that Nichols was kicked before Crump stopped him from saying more. Crump and Nichols' family agreed to investigators' request to wait a week or two before making the videos public to make sure to give the family what they want most, and that's justice. Okay, let's take a look at some news briefs. Annual vaccine. The Food and Drug Administration on Monday proposed a simplified approach for future COVID vaccination efforts, allowing most adults and children to get a once-a-year shot to protect against the mutating virus. The FDA will ask its panel of outside vaccine experts to weigh in at a meeting on Thursday. Scam. Someone scammed U.S. Senator Jerry Moran's re-election campaign out of $690,000 by getting the Kansas Republicans accounting firm to wire the money to fraudulent bank accounts, his office said on Monday. Musk. Elon Musk returned to federal court Monday in San Francisco, testifying that he believed he locked up financial backing to take Tulsa private during 2018 meetings with representatives from Saudi Arabia's Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, though no specific funding amount of price was discussed. Spotify, music streaming service Spotify said on Monday, it will cut 6% of its global workforce or about 600 jobs, becoming yet another tech company forced to rethink its pandemic era expansion that the economic outlook weakens. Arizona, Democratic Representative Ruben Galigo, a liberal firebrand and prominent Latino lawmaker, announced on Monday that he'll challenge independent U.S. Senator Christine Sinema in 2024 and becoming the first candidate to jump into the race. Sinema has not said whether she plans to run for a second term. And finally, in news briefs in NATO, Turkey's president cast serious doubt on NATO's expansion Monday after warning Sweden not to expect support for its bid for membership into the military alliance following weekend protests in Stockholm by an anti-Islam activist and pro-Kurdish groups. All right, let's take a quick look at the weather here. Today, 
there'll be some clouds from time to time and sun, and sun. It'll be a high of 31 degrees. Tonight, it will go down to 25 degrees and cloudy. Wednesday, 31 degrees. Uh, and then a low of 20 degrees. A little snow possible, mainly later on. Thursday, morning flurries and cloudy. It's going to start getting chillier. Uh, we'll have a high of 24 and then go down to 11. Friday, it'll get a little bit warmer temporarily. It'll be breezy with some clouds, high of 34 and low of 10. And then Saturday, the, the, the cold starts to return to us. It will be colder and a possible flurry, high of 21 and low of 3 degrees. That is chilly. Okay, in the remaining time we have here uh, today, let's take a look at something in the health uh, section of the paper. It's called Hands-On Treatment. Know the different types of arthritis that can affect fingers and thumbs. What happened to your thumb or fingers? Those versatile tools that always uh, enabled you to skillfully button your shirt and open up a jar or tap out your thoughts on a keyboard are now stiff and they're hurting and even changing shape. Arthritis is most likely the problem and its effects on can compromise your independence. The American College of Rheumatology has a campaign on how arthritis and other um, conditions can affect your lives. Uh, the symbol is a fork with twisted uh, tines, says Dr. Jeffrey Sparks, assistant professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. And uh, that sums it up. Using a fork or doing any simple task can become very difficult whether it's using your cell phone or typing, grooming, cooking, or eating. Uh, finger and thumb joints. Fingers have three joints. The joint where the finger connects to the hand, called the MCP joint. The middle joint, called the uh, PIP joint. And the uh, joint closest to the end of the finger, the DIP joint. The joint at the base of the thumb is the CMC joint. Symptoms and types. You have two main types of arthritis affecting your thumb or fingers. Symptoms depend on which type you have. The most common type, osteoarthritis, is a, a degenerative problem that erodes the cushioning or the cartilage in the joints. As bones grind against each other, new bone forms showing up as bumps called nodes on the joints. Those bony growths call, uh, cause stiff tissue around them to expand, and you get nodes in one or both of those knuckles and in different fingers on either hand, where it shows up as a bit of a mystery. Um, we are running low here on time, but uh, this article is quite extensive. Uh, it will also tell you about other types of thumb and finger arthritis and what you can do. I'll tell you that one briefly. Talk to your doctor if, if you suspect you have arthritis. Don't put it off. We have drugs that very effectively treat these diseases. Sparks goes on to say, the, early, er, the earlier the arthritis is treated, the more likely they'll, you'll have a milder case. Uh, in the case of rheumatoid arthritis, we can prevent deformities, slow disease, and avoid other complications. So it's very, very important that you go to your doctor. Don't put it off. Well, I want to thank you for listening today to the reading of the Courier, January 24th on Tuesday. And I am your reader, Peter Welch, and you're listening and have been listening to IRS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.